Hello and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner, and joining me on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man? Just delightful. Just Great. delightful. Yeah, spring training baseball. Uh, the Derby, couple months away. Three months away, actually, because I think it's quite a way. Uh, but no, the uh, the basketball has been a lot of fun lately, um, even when the outcomes haven't been as, as fun as I want them to be. Uh uh, no, I think we, it's funny. We, we're what five days after the All Star break ended, and like I feel like I've learned so much more about these teams because they kind of yeah. had to play at full strength because they had yeah. the break, and like you know, there are teams that I now look at much differently than I did a week ago because they're finally playing at full strength. I was like, maybe not. Look yeah, at you Dallas. We're getting that post All Stars uh, jolt. You know, maybe the second wind from some of these teams after after all the rest. You can see what the time off does. Part of the reason I'm a proponent of shortening the season and you know, keeping it over the same amount of time is we're seeing like when guy, even the guys that played in the all-star game, when they have a few days of rest and they have time to take care of their bodies between games, the quality of play is just so much higher. We saw Thursday night, there were a ton of great games. Um, and it, like you said, ever since then, it's just been every night, e even last night when like there weren't the slate, like the matchups weren't super appealing, but the basketball was good. The basketball has been really good since the all-star break. It's been good all season long, but especially these last few days, and and we're now in the home stretch of the season. I think part of the the flip side of having to wait so long to get to the All Star break is that now that we're after the All Star break, there's like this excitement, this this tense nature to the season where it's like, all right, it's it's time to get things together for these teams that haven't gotten it together yet. And now we're starting to think about what these teams are going to look like in the playoffs. And you look at the standings, it's like, oh, now we have real clarity. And then you realize there's absolutely no clarity. And it's like five through 13 in the West is separated by a quarter of a game somehow. Right. It's just going to be a mad dash over the last 20 games to, you know, get to make the playoffs. I mean, to avoid the play in, like, they're going to be teams that we expected to be maybe top four seeds in the West that are going to be scrapping it out in the play in. And these last 20 games are going to be really crucial. And from all indications, the quality of play is going to be really high as well. Yeah, uh, and the uh, I mean, well, I hope the quality of play is really high, right? Because they're we're already based seeing... on yeah. If if recent trends continue, we'll, we which we, we hope are they seeing do. the injuries, which is not great and yeah. not particularly fun, um, which is probably sadly a good jumping off point. Yeah, um, unfortunately, the biggest news in the NBA world, well, maybe co biggest news, depending on uh, maybe what part of the country you're from. No, I think this is the biggest news. I mean, he's the best player of all time. Yeah, LeBron James uh, going to miss the reporting, I think, was relatively ambiguous, saying a few weeks that he's going to. So he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks. Oh, OK, so that, that um, I must have missed that, that before it yeah, came out. This within the last I can double check here within the last uh, hour or so oh, okay. uh, was reported by Woj that LeBron's going to be reassessed in two weeks. They're, they Sorry, they expect to reassess his injured yes. right foot in two weeks. The, to see yeah, progress say, he's right. made. Right but the injury. timeline for his return is expected to extend beyond that checkpoint. Yeah, not great. Uh, and and reportedly he suffered that right foot injury against Dallas on Sunday in their comeback win over the Mavs. Which is interesting because he thought he stepped on Dwight Powell's foot, which is what caused it. But the replay showed that like there was no contact. Like, it was non-contact, which is mm. not fun. Yeah. Reminiscent in a way, I guess, in that sense of the Ja Morant injury, Last yep. year in the playoffs where everyone thought it was Jordan Poole and he like pulled his knee or whatever. And then it was like, no, that's medically impossible. It was yeah. a non-contact injury. Um, yeah, this is obviously not great for the Los Angeles Lakers, who, uh, as things stand right now, are 12th in the Western Conference right behind. And playing really well. And and playing well right behind the Portland Trailblazers, 29 and 32 record. Seem to be pointing things in the right direction. Anthony Davis was on the court looking good. The new additions, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, D'Angelo Russell all slotting in nicely LeBron continuing to play at an all NBA level. And you started to see, okay, this is what a real team built around LeBron James and Anthony Davis should look like. And now it seems like that momentum is going to basically fall on its face. And at this point, I think it's hard to make a case that they're likely to make the play in Ooh. right now. I mean, it's, it's so here, I mean, do, here. do you think there's still a favorite to be one of the top 10 teams in the West? Cause like to me without LeBron, there's just not a lot of hope for this team. So this is a war of attrition, right? Um, on on the surface, right? It's like, oh, you lose LeBron for at least two weeks, probably more. I think the assumption becomes that submarines the season. 
Um, the schedule isn't overly hard. They are placing, facing a lot of the teams that they're going to be competing against, but they're also facing some tanking teams down the stretch. Just for clarity, though, they are a game back of the nine seed, two games back of the seven seed, two and a half back of the six, and only a half game back from the 10 seed. That's not as important as the teams that are ahead of them that they would need to get to get ahead of right now. But right now at number eight, you have the Utah Jazz, who they yeah. are a game and a half behind. And I got to tell you, it does not feel like the Jazz want to be where they're at, right? Feels like losses are coming down the stretch eventually. The Wolves at number nine, who have lost uh, three in a row, three really bad games in a row. And then they are, a ha- so they're a game back from the Wolves, the ninth seed. They're half game back from the Pelicans, who are like, Man, spiraling, <laughs> spiraling. Lost is to the magic of, last night in a game like it's that they an should not have lost to the magic. They're they're terrible. I, like the, they they were not this bad this, earlier this year without Zion. Now without him, like they're falling apart completely. Um, which sucks because I know you and I love, both love them. So that's three teams at eight, nine, and ten that doesn't feel like they're going to make the playoffs. However, are going to make the play in. However, there aren't a lot of teams to replace them. Right, it's the Blazers who are tied at ten with the Pelicans. The Blazers, I think, probably actually end up getting in to the plan at this point. I think, despite the fact that they're not technically in because of win percentage, that they'll end up being in. And the Lakers, uh, who are trying, have good players. Like the crazy thing about the deadline is, like losing LeBron, they're not as done as they would have been beforehand. Like they can still do this around AD. Uh, And then the Thunder are are a game back, but the Thunder, like Shea, is like. Just missing games now. <laughs> like he's just he's that like, time of year. He's like, oh, what's happening? And like he's, I think he's in health and safety protocols um, now, which obviously you don't want to see anyone get COVID. But like, it's, it's like, well, it's I like, think that's that's relating to the health and safety of their draft pick. Right. It could be, uh, reasonably could be. So you have two teams or five teams fighting for three spots. Three of them kind of suck or are sucking. Uh, one of them or want to suck one of them, the Blazers, I think you and I agree will both end up getting in mm-hmm. the others, the Lakers who honestly, like they're better than the wolves, even without LeBron, like that. See, that's, that's where I disagree. That's where I disagree. The, the wolves are a mess. Rudy Gobert is a shell of himself. Like it's like Anthony Davis is a, a significantly, he's the best player on you. Yeah, I, I agree. Right. Uh, all of the wolves role players are now on the Lakers. <laughs> like those guys are Lakers currently. Uh, and, and they have no creation other than Anthony Edwards. Maybe this we can use this as a discussion of the Wolves. They're a mess. They don't look like they know what they want to be. They're really good defensively with Rudy Gobert on the court and a complete disaster offensively. Like, it's not just like the, the numbers will back this up, but they look like a mess. They look like they don't know what they want to be. They look like they don't know how they want to get offense. Carly Anthony Towns is seemingly just kind of out forever, right? I don't know when that's going to change. Well, I was going to say they're they're about to get him back, which Are I think they? you well, I mean, it seems that way. Like it, it seems like the, the initial timeline of the injury would place him back in the next week or two. I thought I, it I don't know that there's been back. an update that's going to keep him out longer than that. But but if he so is, let's the, say he comes back in a week and a half. He was supposed to come back like a month and a half ago. I thought I thought it was four to six weeks originally. I believe the like the based on the last prognosis given, it would put him back in about a week or two from now. I could be wrong on that, but I'm assuming he'll come back before the start of the season. You, I mean, you rarely see a guy miss that much time with a calf strain unless the injury was misdiagnosed. Um, but but what I was going to say is you could look at that, Towns coming back, as a positive or a negative. You could look at that as, well, they're getting some offensive help. They really need offensive firepower, and he's the guy that can create shots and help them there. Or you could look at that so, as like, hey, it just didn't go quick. super great with Carl Anthony Towns in the lineup at the start of the season. And like, how does he really mesh with Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert? You know, there there are some questions to kind of to figure out there. Are they going to have enough time before the end of the season to figure out how all of these pieces work? Are they throwing a wrench into this, you know, whatever identity they found around Anthony Edwards? Are they now throwing a wrench into that by bringing Towns back? So I really don't know how that's going to go. So you know, the long and short of it is I don't know if getting Carl Anthony Towns back helps or hurts the Timberwolves, as crazy as that sounds, given how talented he is. It's just been that kind of season for the Wolves where I, I'm unsure what real impact that's going to have. Sham Sharani reported, it uh, looks like February 15th, that they hope to have him back for their final 10 to 15 games, which is like mid to late March. Yeah. And at that point, who cares, right? Like that's, you're kind of cooked at that. And, and like you said, getting him back, I don't think it helps. Like even if they figure things out, it's only gonna, they're going to have to refigure things out. Um, I Like I said, I think the Lakers are a better team than the, the Wolves are at this point. Like, especially because Mike Conley, as much as he's helped, 
uh, stabilize things does not look great in Minnesota right now. Yeah. They their role players are not good. Uh, like I I you know to go back on something I said a few weeks ago. I think the Lakers might be right for taking D'Angelo Russell instead of Mike Conley. Like I did not think I would ever get to that point, but that short looks that way. Jared Vanderbilt's awesome, right? Like he is he's a really good fit with Anthony Davis, even if the offensive struggles are there. Like yes, he's he's not going to shoot, but like he does everything else. He does all of the things you need a non shooter to do to be successful. And the the Wolves, like, they have Anthony Edwards, and then they have a mess. Uh, and Anthony Edwards, by the way, sometimes kind of a mess. Yeah. Uh, and so beyond that, like, the, the Lakers, without Zion, the Lakers might be better than better than the Pelicans, too, right? Like, that's even without LeBron, because they've been, like, you, like losing the Magic, seriously, the Magic who don't really want to win games either, uh, is that's a disaster outcome, and that's all you got to be better than, right? Because the Thunder are trying to lose. The The Jazz are probably going to eventually try to lose here. And if even if they don't, by the way, you can still get the Blazers and Lakers in just by moving the Wolves and Pelicans out. Yeah. Well, but whether they are the you know better than these teams, past these teams or not, my, my point is mainly just to say, I think before the LeBron injury, I was looking at the Lakers as one of the eight best teams by the end of the season in the West and a yeah. good bet to make the playoffs. Um, or at least the play-in, to be in the play-in and probably be the favorite to advance to the playoffs. Now it's just a little bit more of a question of whether they make the play-in to begin with. And I still to, think they're they're probably favored though to make the play-in. Yeah, over. they may be. I I don't. It's a, it's maybe closer to a coin flip to me, but I don't feel obviously as confident in that without LeBron. To me, this, well, this so here's the thing though. Like, let's say this is why I don't think it impacts the. It sucks because you want to watch. Like I was having fun watching them. I thought they were really good and really fun to watch. Let's say he's out for a month. Right, March twenty eighth, he comes back. Four weeks, we'll call it. Uh, that gives him three weeks basically to get ready. And they're let's say they're in the play-in. They're still prob- probably the play- favorite to make the playoffs, right? Like they're, you know, they're as long as they make the play-in. And again, he would even have two weeks to kind of help them get there. So I still think they're the favorite to get out of the play-in, even over the Warriors because the Warriors are messy right now too, right? Like it's all kind of bad. Uh, but yeah, I, I think like as as much as it sucks to see the best player of all time not play basketball, uh, I don't know that this impacts the final outcome maybe as much as it seems like it would on the surface. To me, this injury also underscores a couple of other things, one of which is that LeBron is clearly not the same just bionic man that he was in his prime and early in his career. He's now missed at least 20 games, 25 games, um, in every season he's played with the Lakers except for 2020, the year they won the championship in the bubble. Um, Other than that, all the other years he's been in LA, he's missed time with a significant injury and he's been out for a significant amount of time. Um, the other thing is I, I think, again, this this points back to the Westbrook trade and how much of a disaster it was because if they don't make that trade in the first place and they don't have to live with the damage that Westbrook was doing and the flexibility they sacrificed to acquire him. They're not in the kind of hole where they now have to scrap and claw to get out of the play. And like they're giving themselves a much better cushion if well, they just never make that Westbrook trade, now they're they don't even have to be in the situation in all likelihood where they have to worry about, oh my God, is an injury to LeBron going to completely tank our season? If they just hold their ammunition, don't make that Westbrook trade, make the Turner and Heald trade that apparently was on the table. I, I think they're I don't think they're in the position they are now, you know, but now because of how how far that set them back. Now they're having to climb out of that hole again, and it's just a, they can't afford an injury to LeBron. Their margin of error completely disappears. So, again, I know he's not on the team anymore, and I know we always harp on how bad that trade was for them, but but this is why. This is why it matters. This is why it's such a disaster. It's not just the damage he did on the court. Even now that he's gone, Russell Westbrook is still hurting the Lakers because of the position that they've left themselves in after that trade. Yeah, and and it's not just this year, right? It would have changed last year too. Yeah, yeah, it would have changed all of it. So I think it, it's tough to go down that rabbit hole just because it changes literally everything for them. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it kind of is what it is at this point. I think it sucks. But the other the injury that I kind of alluded to in there, like the Warriors thing, by the way. I know we didn't necessarily plan to talk about this. I, there has been no real update about when Steph's going to come back, I, and I don't think we ever actually discussed that on this show when it yeah. happened. Maybe we just mentioned he's out, but we never really got into the well because the, there the was details. no real. There's no real timeline given, right? Like, yeah, and there's still no real timeline. And man, I, I mean, I've just heard like the the releases and reports I've seen are just basically he's making progress, he's improving, he's getting better. But there's or no. He, but I've, there's I've no also timeline. seen that like he's frustrated with it, like he's like yeah, because it's a pain thing. 
And so like, right. It's rather than it being a structural thing where he's going to further yeah. injure the leg. It's just a, a matter of pain tolerance and how much can you play through? And are we going to see like in like, I don't know, two weeks, he's still not back. And then when do you get worried if you're the Warriors? Cause then the, if, if he's not back, they start to become a team that you're looking at like, mm, maybe they're falling out of the play. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? And then it could potentially create a 2016 situation where his, his meniscus in that 2016 playoff run wasn't right. And yeah. he didn't have the same explosion. You know, he clearly was not the same guy that he was in that 2016 regular season. Uh, and that's part of what cost him the championship against the Cavs that year, among many other things, um, or really one big other thing. But um, yes, you know, you, you hope that it doesn't turn into that kind of situation where he comes back, but he's not the same guy. And we just never really see peak Steph or peak warriors again this season. So we'll see. And it's, it's hard to know. I mean, even at the time in 2016, it wasn't like everyone was talking about like, Oh, Steph's playing through this knee injury. And it was just kind of a thing that came out afterwards. Like, yeah, he was not totally right, but he was playing through it anyway. And so you never really know how much damage and how much pain some of these guys are playing through. Um, and generally in the playoffs, especially it's like, if they're on the court, you expect them to play well, but with this kind of thing coming back from this can be a, a real tricky thing uh, to navigate because of the pain and, and the, the mobility and the explosiveness and a guy like Steph who relies on a lot of that change of direction and craftiness, a lower, a mid leg injury like he has right now could, I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to keep him off the court in the playoffs, but it could pretty noticeably hamper what he's able to do. Especially because right now they'd be playing the Grizz in the first round. If they win the plan, good luck, which maybe that's a matchup. We'll talk about in a second here after potentially we discuss uh, the other big news of the week which is the, the Atlanta Hawks, after firing Nate McMillan on February 21st, have hired Quinn Snyder, former Utah Jazz head coach and former Atlanta Hawks assistant coach under Mike Budenholzer. Um, they've hired him on February 26th, this past Sunday, to a five-year deal. The number I heard there was about $8 million a year. They usually don't disclose the terms of these coaches' contracts on the in terms of the annual salary, but I the the rumored number that I heard was eight million a year. I don't know if he's getting the full eight million for the rest of this year or if it's prorated down. Who knows? Bottom line is they were twenty nine and thirty under Nate McMillan, two and zero under perpetual interim head coach Joe Prunty, who you'll remember was also the interim head coach when the Bucks fired Jason Kidd a little while ago before they hired Mike Budenholzer. Um, so Snyder. It sounds like he's going to make his debut Wednesday or maybe tonight. Whenever the Hawks next game is, it sounds like he'll be available um, for that game. And, and that is when the Snyder tenure will start in Atlanta. What do you make of this hire? What does it mean for the Hawks? What does it mean specifically for Trey Young and his fit with DeJounte Murray? And is the rest of this season's salvageable or is this like a 2024 move where they're trying to set themselves up to have some continuity going into next season? So there's there's a lot to unpack here, right? Like, I I was wondering quite a bit why Quinn Snyder took this job, right? Like, and then you hear some of the reporting, or you read some of the reporting uh, that you know he has say in personnel decisions, right? That he's got heavy uh, the the payday, the eight million a year over five years, the five for forty is like okay, well that you know those things check out. Like that's probably it because I would coach the Hawks for eight million dollars a year, just for I the record. Too. Yeah, I would as yeah. well. But in his position, like he was going to get a head coaching job this offseason if he wanted it, right? Like there are going to be ones that come open. Like, I mean, that we talk about all the time. The Sixers are kind of a prime candidate for that. Uh, and like that's a better job than the Hawks. I think you would agree with that. Uh, the Raptors could if like the Nick Nurse stuff goes awry. Um, like there are options. Dallas is potentially one of them. Like there are these these situations that are just better than Atlanta, right? Like I would rather be in those situations than Atlanta. But when you talk about the same personnel decisions and the, the amount of pay he's going to get, it makes more sense. Uh, I just like, like, what's the end game here? Right? Because he didn't get along with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell at the end because he's a control freak. Like everyone's Tim McMahon said it on the, the Hoop Collective uh, podcast. He like, he's outright said it. Like Quinn Snyder's a control freak and like getting the control here probably helps. Um, so it sounds like he'll mesh well with Trey Young. Right. Like that's the thing. Like, if you oh you didn't like hanging out with Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. how about Trey Young? Uh, or so, uh, for Trey Young, it's like you didn't like you didn't the like freedom McMillan? that Lloyd that Lloyd Pierce and Nate McMillan yeah. gave you on offense. Well, here's Quinn Snyder. <laughs> yeah, and so like I don't know. There's like blow up potential in the sense that like in a year and a half, are we talking about which one of them is going to go? Right, I think that's on the table. Um, they are. Currently the eight seed in the East, probably locked into the play-in at this point. And that 
bit of a cushion between them, the six and the 11. Uh, how much does that matter? I don't know. Whoever wins the playing tournaments, uh, games in the East are going to get smoked by the Bucks and the Celtics in four or five games in the first round. So congrats, I guess, uh, if that's the end game. But they could get caught by the Raptors or Wizards down the stretch here. Like, that's not outside the realm of possibility. And if that happens, then you got to win two to make the playoffs. And I think Snyder probably does this because he wanted a chance to evaluate guys and a chance to assess the roster. And maybe maybe he finds out like that quickly that the situation with Trey is untenable, right? Like maybe that's what happens because um, they like they're stuck. This is the core of this group, and the only way to make it not the core is to move on from Trey Young. Like there is no other way to really improve this team uh, in the ways they want to. Um, you can use some picks. You can you can't use many of them. You can use some pick swaps. Uh, you can't use all of them though uh, because of the Dejounte Murray trade. So they're yeah. just kind of like. Man, this team became a treadmill team so quickly, and I caught a lot of shit a couple years ago when they beat. Here the, we go. When they, well, I'm just saying when they beat no, no, the no, Sixers, and not because they beat the Sixers, but because I said like there is like real like this is probably the peak, right? Like I said, this is yeah. very reasonably going to be the peak for this Hawks team, uh, and like that they end up becoming a treadmill team, and uh, here we are. Here they are. Yeah, I I said as much to my dad last night when he asked me what I thought about the. Uh, my dad, a Hawks fan, uh, as as is my my brother and many other family members of mine. I, I do, for what it's worth, like I like the Quinn Snyder hire. Yeah, no, that, not, that's like, what I said. I, I said don't, don't want to be hire. critical of that. It's a really good hire. The problem is everything else. Like I honestly think if you're going to make that hire, you just tear it apart, right. right? And you just start over. Well, the thing I said was I, I think he's better than Nate McMillan as a coach. I would I would put Quinn Snyder as one of the probably five best tactical coaches in the NBA in terms of just X's and O's. Like who do you want? building your game plan heading into a playoff series. He might be top five for me. Um, but the th- the thing I also said, and I'll say now is that that conference finals might've been the peak and it might have been the thing that locked them into this, where they misread that success as something that was going to be enduring and something that was going to be lasting. And instead they, you know, it, it was kind of a flash in the pan and and they tried to hold on to that core that they had and say, this is the, the team that's going to win us the championship. Um, and they locked themselves into something that is less than championship quality. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. I think looking now at the the on-court fit of this and and you know how it's actually going to work um from a game-to-game basis. The biggest question obviously is can Quinn Snyder maximize that Trey Young DeJounte Murray pairing in a way that Nate McMillan couldn't? And the the sort of question that dovetails with that is can Trey Young buy into an off-ball role by spotting up, by cutting, by screening, by doing anything other than dominating the ball um and then nothing when he's not dominating the ball. Kind of the Luka Doncic thing we talk about all the time which honestly could also just be called the Trey Young thing or the James Harden thing or whatever. Um, I think the answer to that is yes, relative to Nate McMillan. Can he do it enough where it really matters and, and Trey becomes like a real off-ball threat? I don't know about that. But, you know, this for it, for the sake of winning basketball games, like if the Hawks just want to win as many basketball games as possible, I think this is probably a good move. It's just the question is like, is it worth trying to do that like like basically it feels to me like the hawks are trying to dig themselves out of a hole and of course when you dig you try to dig yourself out of a hole you only end up digging yourself further into the hole you just have to stop digging at some point um and i wonder are the hawks close to that point where they just decide to stop digging it it doesn't have to end with them stopping digging though ben what if they what if they find something in that hole what if they find what if it's something shovel? nice what if, what if they find a bigger shovel that's right 
Uh, that reminds me something down there. There could be a Larry O'Brien trophy down there. It's the, uh, no, this is, that's not a good comparison, but uh, I was going to say like the, it reminds me of the, the Russell Westbrook situation, right? Where teams keep adding him and it's the, the arrested development meme where it's like, yeah, these people are idiots. Like it never works out for them. They keep trying, but it might work for us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, this is where we're at. Well, I was actually going to make another Russell Westbrook comparison. So it's funny you say that because, you know, boy, we, I'm sure Hawks fans will love to hear that. Well, are, are we reaching a little bit of a Westbrook oh. point with Trey? Oh. Not Trey Young is a better offensive player than okay. Russell Westbrook right. ever was. I'll say that he's a better player now, obviously, than Russ is by far. Just in terms of like, we keep asking the question, is this the year that Trey Young's going to oh, buy yeah, yeah. into an off-ball role? Like the Ben it, Simmons question. Right. It was like, is Westbrook going to set ball screens this year? Like, no, he's not. He's just like, yeah. he's not going to do it. Are we reaching that point with Trey Young where it's like, we keep wondering, can he buy into this off-ball role? And at some point, it's like, he's never going to do it. It's just not the way he's wired. It's, do you it's think? never going to happen. As much as we want it to happen, as much as we can all see that it would probably be in his and the team's best interest for him to do it, it's just not going to happen. I'm not ready to write that off totally. But I'm getting closer. Um, I'm getting yeah. closer because we just have no evidence that he's ever going to do that. Going back to his high school days, he's just always played as an on-ball guy, and he's great as an on-ball guy. Again, he's a better on-ball. But it's not. It's not about that. It's about, was, it's about. It's about a refusal. Yeah, it's about a refusal to play off the ball. It's not about being great on the ball. Exactly. So you can't, yeah. You can't have it literally every possession. Um, I am curious, knowing that, right? Like knowing that we don't think you'll ever buy into that role. Do you think a team can win a title with Trey Young as their best or second best player? That's the question. That's the question. I think I would say it's unlikely. Do you think a team can win a title with Luka as their best player? Slightly less unlikely, which I guess is just a way of saying slightly more likely, but still I think it's hard. I I mean, I've said this before. I think it's hard to win a championship when you have a guy dominating, the, unless that guy is peak LeBron James, who, by the way, still had Kyrie Irving next to him. Yeah, for sure. And and, and also and LeBron, LeBron, like cut. Like, right. I was just going to say was a good cutter and would actually do that. Played with Dwayne Wade, played with Kyrie. Un- unless you have peak LeBron as that on ball guy, I think it's really hard to win a championship that way. I just think when you get into the playoffs and you go up against, unless you can just go through a whole playoff run without ever facing an elite defense, who can really dial in and take away what the on-ball guy wants to do, like his first option, like Golden State did to Luka last year. Unless you run, you can just avoid that kind of defense, I just think the best defenses are going to be able to constrict your offense to the point where it, you're, you're, it's hard to get that far in the playoffs. Because the other thing is a lot of these on-ball, and this is the other thing that made LeBron the exception, he was an elite defender. Most of these on-ball heliocentric guys are really bad defenders. And so it's like if your offense isn't getting to the level that you need it to be to overcome how how mediocre, how bad you're – like if your defense can only get to a certain level with this guy being part of your defense and this guy also can't take you to the level that your offense needs to be at to overcome that defensive threshold, then yeah, mathematically it's it's just going to be really hard if not impossible to win a title. So I, that's not the way I thought you were going to go with the Luca question, which I'm sure will the response that you and I will get from that. It's going to be hilarious. I can't wait. Um, but no, I, I, I think it's significantly more likely you can win a title with Luca uh, because of the second thing you said, it's the on ball stuff or the off ball stuff is harmful, but I don't even know if it's as harmful as the defensive stuff. Right. Yeah. Like Luca is big enough to be valuable defensively. Um, even if he's not trying that hard or if he's just dialing it in for the playoffs, it's like the James Harden thing, right? And he's big enough, strong enough to like, we've seen James Harden play good defense in the playoffs. He did it last year, right? Like he'd be a good defensive player. I think Luca, if he just dials in like that can be a good enough defensive player, like above average defensive player. Trey Young can't, uh, it doesn't help that he doesn't try at all. Uh, but even when he tries, he can't. Um, so I would still like to say it's significantly more likely that Luca can win a title. Um, but it's also like, to, I know everyone likes to compare Luca and Harden, but I think it's for good reason. Luca can easily transition into the thing that Harden is doing this year, right? Like the the off ball shooting. You don't have to cut all that much. You just got to be willing to shoot when you catch yep. it. 
Um, and I think that's an easier transition for him than Trey, which, who, which like, by the way, involves like standing in the vicinity of the three point line in a position where you're ready to catch the ball yeah. if it gets kicked to you and not just like standing out by the coaching box, like yeah. with your hands which is on what, your hips, which is, I mean, Luca does that, but Trey does it all the time. But yeah. He's like not even in position where if the ball were swung to him, he would be able to shoot. Well, the shot it can't the really be swung to him. It's like, it's you're swinging and then there's someone that's supposed to be there, but they're six yards away. Right. Near half court instead. Yeah, it's just like it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's damaging. No, there's this is why I, I wonder if we're getting to the Westbrook point, because there's just been no indication that he's I like, interested. I like that we now have a thing. That's we're calling it that from now on. We're calling it the Westbrook point. I have so many principles it's, that in my head I just refer to as the Westbrook thing. Like I have, no, I have the, the like, West, it's it's the Westbrook point. First off, I have like eight theories about basketball that are all called the let's, Westbrook theory or the Westbrook point or the Westbrook let's, thing. Let's not, let's only discuss this one. Cause this one is officially the Westbrook point. Uh, it's where your team cannot get any returns on your superstar being the best player because of his unwillingness to adapt. That is now referred yes. to as the Westbrook point. Or do you want to do the Westbrook theorem? I, well, the, the I think the Westbrook theorem is if your team is good enough to contend for a championship, Russell Westbrook is useless to you. But if your team is bad enough that Russell Westbrook is useful to you, you're better off tanking. That's the Westbrook theorem. Yes. Uh, and the Westbrook point is Trey Young is at the Westbrook point uh, and the Clippers are testing the Westbrook yeah. theorem. <laughs> Be clear. So, yeah, the Wizards were the team that that, I, that crystallized that for me, the Westbrook yeah. theorum. Anyway, we, we can stop talking about Russell Westbrook because um, I don't know that we can because it's like the he's fourth brought, time he's come up. He's going to play. Podcast. He's going to play in like a the one of the most watched first round series as things yeah. stand. Like it's them and the Suns. We also just shit on him a bunch for screwing the Lakers and putting them in this position with and LeBron the, on the and shelf. Then the, and then oh, the Clippers immediately signed him anyways. Yep. <laughs> like he, Hey, I mean, cr- credit to him though. Malik Monk, had scored like 30 plus and he made sure that Malik Monk was going to get another shot off, shot off yeah. so he could see some overtime against the King. So I appreciate him oh, for God. that. One other question. It seems almost irrelevant to talk about like the Hawks on court look under Quinn Snyder but my only other question there is like what does the defense look like around Clint Capella like is there something there where you can build a a jazz like defense around Capella as your poor like, man's go like around the the music like just like like real some real jazz to it again uh that was one of the worst jokes you've ever made on this podcast <laughs> I just gotta say um yeah I just uh, wonder you know I'm can, glad I did it now are there ways to use that defensive personnel that Quinn Snyder can unlock that Nate McMillan and Lloyd Pierce did not? Is Trey Young playing? He is. Then no. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes it's pretty simple. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, let's move on uh, to the theme of the episode, I guess. Um, yeah. The, kind of the meat the, here after we've gotten the, the news out of the way 45 minutes in. We're, we are so good on time all the time, especially this, when we have a hard out. This this was a concept you introduced. Um, or I think you, we've done this in the past, though. Suggested to me. Explain to the listeners uh, what we're going to be doing here and then also what kind of prompted this exercise in your head. Yeah, so Ben is going to spend the next 45 minutes telling us about Nicole Jokic and Steph Curry. Yeah, oh, I'm well, sorry. How does just, that differentiate that's, sorry, this that's episode just, from any other episode? I was going to say, sorry, that's just every episode. Um, No, we are going to go... We probably go four seeds deep would make sense uh, on each, what I each yeah. conference. Although we might want to go to six in the West um, and pick we'll the go, team. We'll that, go as far as we get. Yeah. Pick the team that you want to see least. Right. Yeah. So essentially uh, what team does each championship contender not want to see in the playoffs? 
Yeah. And whether that's the first round, whether it's the second, like the, the team that we think is most likely to beat the the team in question, the team in question. Yep. And I, I think we should start in the West because this, the idea for this came to me because of, again, I think we've done it in the past, but like came to me because of a matchup that I think we can. I can okay. Lead off so with. yeah. What? Let's lead off with that. Yeah. So obviously Denver is the number one seed. And I think, and fortunately they won't have to see them until the conference finals. I think they should be terrified of Memphis. Like, That's who I had to. Yeah, because they can just put him in the like they can put Jokic in the spin cycle. Like they did it. Uh the, I was watching Grizzlies Nuggets, and that's what spurred this thought on Saturday night. He just looked completely lost in that game. Like yeah. just out of sorts defensively. Couldn't handle Morant, couldn't handle Desmond Bain, couldn't handle Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. Do, did a really good job on him. Like in some people might like point to like, oh, Steven Adams will come back and make it harder, and like it'll be actually less good for the Grizzlies. I think Steven Adams helps them more because the screening makes it even more difficult, and then he's putting more pick and rolls. And Steven Adams I think is like, one of their; he's also one of their best offensive players. Yes, he's. Good. I think people he's assume just, he's, just he's a bad offensive player because he's a big man who can't shoot, but he's, no, he's one he's, of their most valuable offensive players. Yes, uh, he is genuinely like one of the what top six centers in the NBA. No, probably. Mm, I would have to think about that. Yeah, but probably in that range, six to eight, yeah. six ten, whatever. Uh, but yeah, Denver to me should be terrified of that matchup. Like that is, that could be a quick one, right? Like it could be a, wow, the Nuggets just lost in four in the conference finals. Like where do they go from here? Kind of situation. Uh, probably not four, but it's possible, right? And I don't think you can say that about literally any other matchup for them. I think we would both probably pick Memphis if they played a seven game series, and I would probably pick it in six. Uh, like, I don't even think it would go the full seven. And like I said, there's a, I think the probability for a shorter series is, is more likely than one for a, a longer series. I agree that that is the matchup that should probably scare Denver most. Although I was between Memphis and Golden State. And and the reason well, we I also was... just saw it before with Golden State, which I think, but right, th- that's to me, the thing. to clarify, I didn't, because I don't know what's going on with Steph. Exactly. Based on this season, my answer would be Memphis. I just can't shake what I saw last year against Golden State. And it, it's, it's a tough question to answer because I think Memphis can do a better job bothering Jokic than the Warriors, but probably better than any other team in the West can uh, just because of Jaron and Steven Adams and the way they can use Jaron on or off of Jokic. They can either have him as the on-ball guy, which I wouldn't do. I'd rather have him away from the ball, trying to disrupt those, those passes to cutters and protect the rim and things like that. Um, and if you can disrupt Jokic, you can disrupt the entire Nuggets offense. But I like Golden State's ability to exploit Jokic on defense better than Memphis's because of Steph in the pick and roll. And I think jaw doesn't pose quite the same threat as, I mean, obviously as a pull-up shooter um, and you, and you can not hide Jokic, but like you don't have to bring Jokic all the way up to the point of the screen where he's going to be really vulnerable on the perimeter. You can drop him back a little bit and give him a little bit more of a margin for error in pick and roll defense. Now, if they force the switch or something like that, like Jaw's going to toast him on a switch or anything like that. But the Nuggets are pretty good at avoiding that. They're, they're able to keep Jokic inside the arc pretty well when that's the scheme that they're going to. Um, the, the, the Grizz also don't have quite the same spacing the Warriors do at full strength. And, and again, I say, I'll qualify all of my Warriors takes by saying at full strength. Steph. They, Steph. Yes, Steph. And, and GP2 coming back and Wiggins looking like himself. I mean, a lot of things have to happen. But if we see the Warriors that we saw last year if that if that version of that team still exists which it may not but if it does that that's the team i'm kind of talking about because otherwise why are we even talking about them um the warriors also don't have dylan brooks who's a guy that's not not only a lot liable to shoot the grizz out of some games but also a place you can put Jokic. i would actually think about doing that as denver putting him on dylan brooks and just being this like is, all right sure shoot some threes or some bad mid-range pull-ups you know the sixers got uh, Brooks to take some bad shots last week. And like, that's pretty much how they, Oh, no way. Dylan uh, Brooks took some bad shots. I know it's crazy. Uh, but now it, here's the, the, uh, the problem with that is like Dylan Brooks bad shots. Like they might become good shots because he can get to the rim so easily. If Jokic is on him, that being said, who knows if he's willing to get to the rim. Right. Um, well, he's also a bad rim finisher. So it's, it's like, if anyone is around the rim, it doesn't matter if it's Jokic or you or me, thing. it's like, he's going to miss the layup. They have the advantage of he's willing to go out of his way to hurt the other team. Like physically, like it's true, yeah. bring them pain uh, and like injure players. Um, and he, most teams in the NBA don't have guys like that because they want yeah. to do things like that. I would so. also add, I thought Denver started to look a little more comfortable in that matchup against Golden State as the series went on. And I think I think that as, as we get a larger and larger sample of the Nuggets, I mean, this was the case. In to the, be clear, against, you're talking about the series where the Nuggets got smoked by the Warriors? 
in in five games. Yes, but but yes. I'm saying the last. I just wanted to be clear about which I thought games the last we two about. or three games. I mean, the first two games they just looked like they didn't belong on the yeah. same court. They eventually started to to look, you know, competent at some point. And we've seen in recent playoff series too. I think this is just going to be a, a feature of Nikola Jokic teams. I think they're going to get better as playoff series go on because Jokic is the kind of player where he's he's going to figure things out as the series goes on. So I would I would wonder if they played again this year does Jokic and do the Nuggets go into that series with more knowledge of the opponent and more ways to exploit them right off the bat rather than having to figure all of that out in real time as the series goes on and all of a sudden they're in a 2-0 hole before they can even, you know, come up with a game plan that's going to be effective. So I think Memphis probably is the team that Denver doesn't want to see um you know, partly because of just the way Golden State has has looked this season and i also think you know like I, we're going to talk about this too with another team in the east um sort of this this principle that i'm i'm using to make some of these these determinations which is like i think it is it is more valuable to be able to take a team out of what it does well like to to basically disrupt a team's identity than to take advantage of things it doesn't do well to begin with if that makes sense. So like in this case, Memphis is able to disrupt Denver's offensive flow in yeah. a way that no one else really can. And Denver's offensive flow is Denver. That is the whole point. So if you can take that away, I think that's more valuable than being able to target Jokic in the pick and roll or in isolation because the Nuggets don't need to have an elite defense. They're going to live or die on their offense. So yeah. if you can quell their offense a little bit, I think that is probably scarier as a Nuggets fan than a team that's going to take advantage of Jokic because everyone's probably going to take advantage of Jokic defensively. But I think those I think those two things play together because the idea of disrupting the flow is creating more turnovers too and creating more bad passes. And there aren't many teams better at taking advantage of that specifically than the Grizz right. who will get running and like, yeah. even in the playoffs can get running. We've seen it. Uh, and, you know, against teams with Nikola Jokic, the Nuggets, like the, he, he's not he's just not going to get back. Right, and you're playing at best five on four for a second or two, and that's a team that will get to the rim and finish around you and make things difficult, yeah. especially because Jaron Jackson Jr. runs the floor well. Like, Brandon Clark gave him a lot of issues, and I got to tell you, man, I hear keep hearing a lot of people talking about Jokic the defender because of defensive box plus minus and Raptor and everything else. Like, you get cooked by Brandon Clark, you're probably not a good defender. He's a I, this, he's a good regular season defender, and he's a bad playoff defender. I think he's it's not, just as simple I think as that. He's, I think he's fine in the regular season. Yeah. I think he's so overvalued by the... I mean, we've talked about it, right? Those yeah, yeah, metrics right. elevate him because he gets steals as yes. a big man, which, by the way, is a really stupid way to evaluate. Ste- I mean, steals are valuable, but but I, I hear what you're saying. But it's the, it's it's why he's elevated as a yeah. center, because of no, the no, positional I, I thing. I agree. He's not the best defender in the NBA, and he has the best defensive box plus minus in the NBA. Obviously there's a discrepancy there. Yeah. The the thing you mentioned earlier just to close out on the on the Nuggets and then we can move on. With the Grizzlies, Ja Morant, you, you talked about the floater earlier and I noticed that too in that Nuggets game before I turned it off because it was such a blowout. He was like he was getting downhill and he wasn't getting all the way to the rim because Yo- he has Jokic pedaling back. He's on his he's on his heels and he just rises up for that floater. Ja's shooting 43% on short mid-rangers this year according to cleaning the glass. That's not a number that terrifies me if I'm Denver, but if he shoots 50%, 55%, 52% in a playoff series on that shot, I, I think, I mean, not just the Nuggets, any team that gives up that shot to John Morant is going to be cooked. So well, that's a key shot for him and for the Grizzlies. What's Brandon Clark shooting on those shots? Because that's the number. Probably like 80%. I haven't yeah, checked, but it's feels 150%. Really like it yeah. is unbelievable how many floaters that dude makes. He's awesome. Still love Brandon Clark. Very good. But but Jaws, the guy that's going to be breaking the defense and yeah, getting sure. into the heart and, and putting up that floater. But part of getting into the heart of the defense is having Brandon Clark come with you, right? And getting yeah. him the ball uh, as he's rolling to the rim and he's got those opportunities. So yeah, uh, I think this is probably a good time to move on to the Memphis Grizzlies. Probably less of a discussion necessary just because we talked about them as much as we just did. Uh, and this one was hard for me, right? Because they're so good. Me too. Defensively. This was the hardest one. Uh, they're so good defensively. It, honestly, I came away from this thinking the Grizz are the favorite to come out of the West because of this, right? And maybe you know what, this... I, what I thought of as I did this was the John Morant quote of like, no one in the West scares us. And I was kind of yeah. like, is that true? I, mean, I don't think it is, but I, I had a thought. I was like, I mean, yeah. They shouldn't like, be afraid of As any... I'm doing this research, the Celtics and Bucks are kind of the only teams that scare me if I'm the Grizzlies. We just said the Nuggets should be terrified of the Grizzlies. <laughs> yeah. For the record, I think I... I think that series would still be a toss-up for me. No, I'd go Grizz. But I'd, I think the Grizz have Matt. The, the Nuggets are a better overall team, 
But the Grizz have certain advantages in that matchup that I don't like for the Nuggets. I don't even know if they're a better overall team. But yeah, we'll I, see. I think, you know, the copper boy yeah. at the very least. Um, they, I'll say real quick, the answer I came up with eventually for the Grizz just to put something was the Clippers. The reason for that was... I, I think your reasoning for the Clippers might be my reasoning for the Suns. Yeah, okay. So the... the this we're we, all these teams are just running together because the Clippers and so yes. I had I had the Clippers as the Suns' worst matchup, so all these teams kind of run together. I think maybe the Clippers are the team they should be concerned about just because like they can do some switching and they have like I don't think the Grizz have great individual defenders to match up with the Clippers' individual offensive players. It's you, it's it's the same thing with the Suns, right? It's the Devin Booker and Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George of it all. Yeah. Here, So the reason I went with the Suns, I, I don't have to go too in depth on this so, so to sort of open the floor to you. The reason I chose the Suns over the Clippers is because of the health of Durant. I trust more than Kawhi, which I know is not saying much, but frankly, they should be terrified of Durant. They should be terrified of Kawhi. And if those guys are at their absolute best, they're going to lose the series. But those guys have to be at their absolute best for them to lose the series. And that's why I'd probably pick the Grizz anyways over those teams. Dude, those have you teams. have you seen Kawhi recently? Uh, did you watch Kings Clippers? Only brief. I didn't see the interesting part of it. Unbelievable shot. I watched. I watched. Uh, unbelievable. Clippers He's Nuggets. Doing it again. Duty. Last 20 games, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> He's he looks like Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it's oh a shame he has Russell Westbrook as a team. Dude, <laughs> by now, the way, you I want to be clear, you picked a team with Russell Westbrook to beat the Grizz. Well, I'm assuming one of the notes I made here actually was assuming that Westbrook and Mason Plumlee don't play too much. It's <laughs> well, like a big, big that's, if. But... That's a big leap to, yeah. to make. By the on Kawhi, though, by the way, it's it's both ends. Yeah. Like, oh, he's defensively, the best. He's a shark he's the best again. defensive wing in the NBA oh, again. My God. I don't. I don't think we have to talk too much about this, Grizz. We. I think we said our piece. Right yeah. Well, I'll just. I mean, I don't think they're the favorite to win the West, and I can see that. I see them struggling potentially in different areas against different teams, but there's not some glaring disadvantage against one single opponent for me. Like I. I don't really think they have the shooting to punish Denver's defense. Like it. Like Denver can. I think can pack it in a little bit against them to help compensate for Jokic's limitations and and not really pay the price because of Memphis's poor three point shooting. Uh, I don't think they have the individual defenders for the Suns, but they can also run an offensive rebound against Phoenix in a way they maybe couldn't against other teams. I don't uh, love how they match up with the Warriors, but you know, like they can score. I, I think uh, if if the Warriors aren't dialed in and like they have the athleticism, I think they can run. We saw them pose a lot of problems against the Warriors last year with the turnovers and just kind of discombobulating their half court offense. The Grizz have the best half court defense in the NBA, so if they can slow that game down. Uh, force the Warriors to play in the half court. I like that matchup for them, but there are also areas where I could see the Warriors giving them problems. So it's not it's not one glaring thing against any one team, but it's it's you know just kind of the lack of. Um, I don't think they necessarily have a ton of strengths against any particular team either. They're just a good overall team. Yeah. Uh, the next team is the Kings. The funny thing about this is, I thought this would be the easiest one to pick. But this was one that I struggled with because like Dallas, like, yeah, they're just going to run with them. The Clippers, yeah, they're just going to run with them, right? Like they're, they can keep up. They cannot keep up with the Nuggets. Uh, Like they can't do enough to disrupt Jokic like you mentioned yeah. earlier. And like their, their bigs like can't do anything again. Like Domas Sabonis is not causing him issues on the other end of the court. Yeah. Right. So I think like to me that one ended up being pretty easy, but like they do match up well with some of these other teams, right? Like, if they play Dallas and or, or the Clippers in the first round, like I don't know, the Kings might win a series. Like, and then if they get the Suns in the next round, it's like they might win two series, right? Like, yeah, they're they are so good offensively that their defensive struggles aren't as much of a concern. I know in the playoffs things will change, but this is not a just run and gun Kings team. They're doing it in the half court too. Yeah, uh, and so like I don't know, man. Like teams. Probably don't want to face the Kings in the first round. That being said, they probably don't want to face any of these other teams in the first round. Well, I was going to say, I, don't I think, think the Kings gonna... are the best option here. I do too, but I don't think they're a walkover. Like, no, I don't, I don't either. Think... I don't either. That said, the thing I kept coming back to as I went through the Kings, I was like, I just think all these teams are better than the Kings. So yeah, but like we they might be a team where matchups don't really teams. matter. It's just about they don't have as much talent. We've seen them play these teams though, and like they haven't had issues with really any yeah. team this season, right? I mean, Sabonis is going to struggle to defend. 
ISO or pick and roll, no matter where you put their, it. Their whole team, those playoff games are 140 and 135. Yeah, but but the thing with Sabonis, like whereas with Jokic, he's making all of that up and then some with his offense. Sabonis right. is not giving you that same offensive lift. I think the Grizz athleticism and rim protection could bother the the Kings a little bit, um, who also probably aren't good enough defensively to exploit Memphis's half court struggles offensively. Um, so if I'm Memphis, it's like, yeah, we can't really score in the half court, but are the Kings really going to take advantage of that? Probably not. So I don't know. The, the Grizz and the Warriors were the two teams I came up with the Kings that they don't want to see. And the Warriors are probably a realistic first round matchup for them if they hold the three seed. But that just comes down to the Warriors being better. I don't know that there are specific matchups or, or stylistic differences in that series that point the Warriors to having some big you know, strategic advantage is just they have Steph Curry and they have Draymond Green and they just have better players. So they're, do you know how many double digit losses they have against teams in the West? So they started 0 4. Um, I think we can probably just dismiss that sample, right? Uh, do you know how many double digit losses they have to teams in the West, just, just generally speaking in the West? I'm going to say four, three since, the, since that start, four counting that start. Okay. Right. Like they're not getting run off the court by anyone. Uh, they're keeping up and sometimes smoking some of these teams, yeah. like destroying the Grizz. The Grizz weren't fully healthy, but they destroyed the Grizz uh, by 33 earlier in the year. They've beaten the Nuggets. Yeah. Like they, they, I, I just they, think they've, they've gone. To, I do agree with you. Like they yeah. are, the, they're probably losing in the first round. I just don't think they're going to be the walkover that I think maybe a lot of us, us included, yeah. uh, have portrayed them to be because they're that good offensively. Um, and it's and it's it's bad defensively, but it's not bad enough where they. Like they'll get stops, right? Yeah. Like they'll get they'll get some stops. I just think the, the difference they run. No matter who they play, to me, the difference is gonna be like it's gonna be a competitive games, competitive series. Yeah. And it's gonna come down to the fact that Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard or Steph Curry or John Morant hit a bunch of shots that De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis didn't. And those guys are good players. Although they're, like they're not those guys, you know, in the same way that Steph and Durant and Kawhi are. And so I'm just I'm seeing like a a Suns Kings first round matchup or Suns Clippers or something. And it's close in the final five minutes, and all of a sudden, Kawhi or KD hits four mid-range jumpers in a row, and the game's over. I will say I'm with you that uh, Demonis Sabonis is not that guy. Uh, Darren Fox looks like he might be that guy. Like he is okay. Well, he if he's that guy, then then what is Steph and what, what is Durant? No, for sure. But I'm Kawhi? saying I mean, like that's my point. Not that level, but like Devin Booker, like that's you know not all that far, right? Yeah. Because he's well. The difference is that Devin Booker's now the second option yeah for Phoenix sure team. no no, no. Yeah. I, yeah i agree with you i'm just saying like to say that he's not that level of player uh he's shooting 77 percent at the rim this year yeah well i also don't think devin I mean, booker is that level of player so right no i agree <laughs> but i think like De'Aaron fox might be a top 15 player in the nba and we just kind of haven't been paying enough attention to it uh he's shooting 77 percent at the rim let me say that one more time De'Aaron fox is shooting 77 percent at the rim that, that is, is better than john Morant. that is unbelievable he is shooting 51 percent on all mid-range shots 55% on short mid-range, 44% on long mid-range. Both of those numbers are very good. 44% in the 70th percentile. Short mid, that's 95th percentile shooting. He is not a big man, right? Like, he is making shots. He's He's been better offensively. No, he's, he's been a better scorer this year than John Moran. Yeah, I, I, but also, like, he is a good passer, right? Like, he is I not... Agree. He is, like... One of the best clutch players in the NBA this season. He's great. He's it's, a great it's player. It's probably on you and I for not talking about enough about how much better De'Aaron Fox has been. Um, I also don't think he's been as damaging defensively. Like he's not good. Like, but he's not like Trey Young out I there agree. defensively. Like he's 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 helpful. He'll do the splash play stuff. Like he'll get the steal. It's like he's a better defender than John Morant. I think mm-hmm. he looks stronger. Uh, like I don't know, man. De'Aaron Fox is really good. He is. This will be the first time he plays in the playoffs, so this will give us a first look at because it's always he, we know it's always different the, that first yeah, time for you sure. go through the playoffs. But those shots he takes, like that, those are the looks you kind of have to take in the playoffs. And like, listen, man, he's already making them. So yeah, I'm excited to see, dude, the Kings in the playoffs. I'm so looking forward to the the 3 p.m. local time tip at the Golden One Center. Oh my god, settle in on the couch on a Saturday afternoon. Against a good team. That. Oh my gosh. Like them, Kings Dallas would be electric. It'd be great. This will go over just as well as your Luca comment earlier. If the Kings and Mavs play in the first round, the Kings are going to win that series. Okay. So let's talk about the Mavs. Are they your, or did you even include them in this exercise? I did. Uh, okay. I did. Are, are the Kings, I assume the Kings are not the answer you came up with. 
No, uh, this was tough. It, it, so it's a couple of my answers are kind of cop outs. Uh, I, I'll do two of them at once. The Clippers are my answer to the Mavs just because they have the options. I was going to say the Clippers are the obvious one. And, yeah. and like, because we've seen it. And for the Suns, the Mavs are the answer because, because again, <laughs> we like they should be mortified of Luca. Well, and it's like, funny I, you say that because for the Clippers, I said the Nuggets. Yeah. Which oh, for the, the for the Clippers, yeah. Another Clippers obvious are, one. Yeah, the Clippers are the Nuggets for me as well. Like yeah. it's we we just kind of and I don't think we have to go too Dude, in depth because the, I don't think we re- consider these teams that great. But yeah. like, well, since this, we're on it though, the... Luca's gonna smoke the Suns if he play if he plays yeah. them again. Like yeah. he's going to destroy them. But, the, but but I don't think the Mavs can defend the Suns. I don't either. I, just I don't, don't think, think either I... of those teams can defend the other team. Yeah, I don't either. I just think Luca is the best player in that series. Yeah, I think so too. And so like he and like he has Kyrie. Although and Kyrie against KD, that'd be a lot of fun too. Uh, like. I just think like the the Mavs are the better offensive team with the better offensive player, uh, and they're gonna take like the hard shots they take are gonna go in more because Kyrie's a better shot maker than Devin Booker is, um, and Luca and and KD are comparable, and Luca's a better playmaker. So yeah, I just like give me the Mavs in that. Yeah, like you said, the the Clippers should be terrified of the Nuggets as they know. Let, uh, let me the just Suns real quick. should be terrified, or the and the Mavs should be terrified of the Clippers because they yeah. have the bodies they can throw at Luca. The, Although they do have Russell Westbrook, which makes it a little easier on the, the Clippers. Maps. Since since they went up three one on the Nuggets in the bubble, the Clippers oh, are no, two. And, don't don't do the, the Doc Rivers stats to me. They're two and twelve. That's this is Rivers and Lou crossing eras. They're two and twelve since they went up three one against the Nuggets in the bubble against Denver. Two and twelve, yeah. including that loss the other night, which was a great game, a fit, one of the best games of the year. If you haven't watched that, go back on League Pass. Watch Clippers Nuggets from I think it was Sunday night. That's a uh, potential second-round matchup, too, yeah. by the way. And... I just think they have no answer for Jokic, unless they're going to play Zubac, and maybe they can get away with that a little more than they could against Dallas in recent years, but I, I still don't love that. To me, there's just no way they can guard Jokic. By the way, and... just as like real quick, we, we talked about the Nuggets already, but I, I've said before, like Jokic needs to prove it in the playoffs this year. He's going to have to, because right now they're pro- looking prove at... Prove it in the playoffs in what way? And like defend okay <laughs> anyone i was gonna like, say because offensively yeah, no, no, no. He's, he's he's definitely been that guy in the playoffs but he's got to defend like if he's not yeah. they're not gonna win a title win. i agree i agree uh point blank like i think it's that simple now but right now i would say the favorites to be the seven and the eight are still the lakers and the warriors those are not fun matchups for him no the second round uh or the clippers and the suns like those the clippers are a fun matchup but the suns sure aren't <laughs> like that is yeah. a nightmare matchup for them and then again the grizz potentially in the conference like the, he's got to go through it they they could lose in the first round. Like if they play the LeBron, healthy LeBron Lakers in the first round, we've seen LeBron take it to another level in the playoffs in the past. We've seen AD do the same. Like they might lose that series if the Warriors are playing the Nuggets in the first round. And Steph's healthy, the Nuggets might lose that series. Uh, West is really good, man. The West is really deep. I think, I think any it's of... good. I've heard a lot of no, discourse no, no, so, about how so, there's so, not like... this one great team. I think there's a lot of great teams. So I think any of the top three in the East would win the West. Maybe so, but I think in the regular season, at least. I think any match. Honestly, even in the playoffs, like I would, I would take. I think the, I think the Bucks or the Celtics are going to win the NBA title, but I think you can drop that down to the Sixers and potentially the Cavs of teams that like would would win it in the regular season and also would probably represent the conference in the in the NBA finals. Yeah, but I think any matchup between the top four, well, maybe not the top four in the standings, but the top what I believe are the four best teams in the West and then the four best three best teams in the East. I think any matchup between those teams would be a good finals. I think yeah, it'd be competitive and close. I also, but I also think the East just wins those. Maybe teams. so, but but not uh, an overwhelming amount of time. Um, for the Suns, I had the Clippers as the team I would not want to see. I kind of feel like the Sun, the, How the you Suns are also Luka the team. did to them. Well, I know. I, I just because <laughs> I don't like, think the Mavs can defend against what I said. I don't think either team can defend yeah, the other. True. I also kind of think the Suns are the team. The Clippers don't want to see it. it that would be a weird series to me because it's just i feel like neither of these teams matches up well against the other but they also both kind of match up well against each other partly because they're kind of different versions of the same team um if this series came to pass i would place a bet that it would have the most mid-range jump shots out of isolation in the history of any nba playoff series and maybe I other would, than like i would place a bet that you and i really just find a way to not watch yeah. it <laughs> maybe since, since the 90s i should qualify that statement yeah um because in theory i think the clippers have the personnel to switch and prevent the suns from matchup hunting but also like does kevin durant care if you switch and matchup hunt i mean i guess he did a little bit against the celtics last year so like could the clippers maybe run a, a slightly weaker version of the game plan um that the celtics threw with the nets last year 
potentially I, I could see that. Um, but I just think like there's not enough potential defensive mismatches or I'm sorry, too many potential defensive mismatches and not enough offensive matchup advantages for Phoenix in that series. Um, and I think in theory, the Clippers can better can can generate better matchups basically and compromise Phoenix's defense better than vice versa. Now the Suns, I think also have probably better spot up shooters with Durant and Booker, like playing off of each other than the Clippers do, but it's close. I think, I think both teams can space the floor pretty well. So if it's like, who do you trust to actually kick to those shooters and create open looks? Maybe it's the Clippers, but, but I don't know. I, I like nothing I've seen from the Clippers this year suggests they're going to be able to create open shots against any opponent. So maybe this is entirely theoretical and well, I'm just in my brain other, circles other than Kawhi and just making everything. Right. But that's what it comes down to is like, every time I watch the Clippers, I'm like, man, if they're going to win a playoff series, they just have to make every tough shot. Well, and which he, he might, does. he's done it before. He's done it before, but that's just a really hard way to make a living in the playoffs. Yeah. I think two points in Phoenix's favor in that series, if they played the Clippers uh, would be their superior passing. And then the fact that they can actually punish size advantages with Aiton in a way that the Clippers can't with Zubots. This would just be a fascinating series because I mean, not only for everything I just mentioned, but also because we don't really know what the Suns or Clippers look like at full strength because we haven't seen it this year. With the Suns, we haven't even seen Kevin Durant play for them yet. He's reportedly going to play Wednesday against Charlotte. And the Clippers are only just starting to get things together with their actual team here. So not only are we trying to hypothesize about how would the Suns and Clippers match up in a matchup we haven't seen, but it actually involves we, – we have to hypothesize what do these teams even look like on their own and then – Further than that, what do they hypothetically look like against each other? So it, it just makes for this really uh, kind of difficult thought exercise, but a fun thought exercise, I think. Yeah, and one we will continue next time. Yeah, we'll we'll pick up uh, with the Eastern Conference next time. Um, John, I know you got to get going, and I want to save some time. We can really dig into some of these matchups. In yeah, the that Eastern way I can Conference. really feel the pain about how... Uh, how uh, I don't want the Sixers to have to face the Bucks in the, in right. the playoffs. Plenty of time to twist the knife about all the Sixers' weaknesses. That's right. It'll be a lot of fun. For what it's worth, that Sixers-Celtics game, uh, I know I said this to you guys, like, uh, I said it to you off-air uh, in, in the group chat, but, like, I think, despite the loss, I think, we've seen the Sixers and Celtics split it in the regular season in the past. I think this would be the most competitive we've seen those two teams be in a seven-game series. Like, I think we are in for whoever the Sixers end up having to face in the second round, assuming they can win a first-round series, which is probably a pretty big assumption at this point, uh, even though they'd be looking at the Nets right now, which I don't think is going to hold. Uh, I, I do think, like, that second-round series is going to be incredible. Whoever yeah, That was Bucks a great game when they faced off. Joel Embiid right now is on a heater. If people aren't that, watching the Sixers, that guy's on a heater right now. Yeah, an unbelievable heater where he made, and including a three quarter court shot that he made. He knew it was after the buzzer, but like that's the kind of shot you make where it's like, yeah, man, you're just going. You're and then Paul George right did it against the Nuggets, and it also didn't count. Yeah, like at the end of the fourth. Honestly, spirit of the game, count them both. <laughs> just give us honestly honest, fair. I, yeah. I think everyone would have been happy with another uh, with an overtime of six or Celtics with how that game was going. Yeah, yeah, that was a sensational game. Um, tough game for the is Jason Tatum better than Embiid crowd. Yeah, we, we talked about this already. You and I, I mean, just like really stupid conversation at halftime. Like, I think most people would take Tatum. Like, really? <laughs> well, it sucks because Ooh. Jason Tatum's really good. Yeah, but and like, we don't have to do the thing. Is, is he better probably, than Embiid? Like, no, he's not. We just, Embiid's probably going to finish good. second in the MVP three years in a row. Like, really? Like, we don't. It's not even like a. Oh, I think he's better this year. Yeah, no, he's been better the last yeah, three years, and everyone has agreed on that. It's for, the Devin Booker conversation all over again. Yeah, it just, sucks, man. Because Tatum yeah. is awesome. He wasn't great that game, but like, he's he's awesome. He made an awesome shot like a great ato by joe mazula like but like it it does like sour it's like come on we don't have to have that conversation stop trying to force this it's not right. it's not true well we appreciate everyone who stuck around to the end of this episode if you enjoyed this or any other episode of read and react uh, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts like rate subscribe do whatever you want to help spread the word and uh, increase visibility of the show. You can also send us an email, readandreactpodcast at gmail.com, readandreactpodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts, questions, concerns, or inquiries about the show. Um, other than that, make sure to keep up with John covering Penn State Athletics at the Center Daily Times, as well as on the Nittany Gritty podcast um, as part of the New Amendment Network with Tim Frazier. Follow me covering the NBA periodically at The Step Back. And other than that, everyone stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. We'll see you all next time. And John, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you soon.
Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.